You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the Daily Crunch Podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. This is Cody Berman from Flotify, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Hey, it's Grant Sabatier from Millennial Money, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. This is Mrs. Groovy from Freedom is Groovy, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Dave from Accidental Fire, and you are listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Welcome to What's Up Next, where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence. Welcome, this is Paul David Thompson from Ready Investor One. And this is Doc G from Diversify.com. So, Paul Thompson, what's up next? Well, Doc, we have a fun episode today. The question du jour is the path to financial independence different based on the generation that you're in. We have four guests spanning the generations, and I'd like for each of you to give us a quick introduction. Cody, can you go ahead? Yeah, what's up, guys? I'm Cody. I blog over at Flatify, and I also have a podcast wherever you're listening to this at The Fi Show. And I'm 22 years old, so that's Gen Z. I'm right on the brink between Gen Z and Gen Y, which is a millennial and whatever Gen Z is called. <laughs> uh, okay, Grant, so same to you. Yeah, so I'm Grant Sabatier, creator of Millennial Money and author of Financial Freedom. I am 33 years old. I am a millennial, proud and excited to be on the show today. All right, Dave, you're next. Hey, everybody. My name's Dave. I blog over at accidentalfire.com. I'm the token Gen Xer here. Yeah, I reached Fi accidentally. All right, Mrs. Groovy. Hi there. I'm Mrs. Groovy from Freedom is Groovy, and I blog with my husband, Mr. Groovy, although he does most of the writing. We both quit our jobs on the same date in 2016 at the ages of 55 and 57. All right. So I'd like to start us off today with a multiple choice question, and I just want your answer A, B, or C. Which generation is the me generation? A, millennials, B, Gen Xers, or C, baby boomers? Let's start with Cody. Did you say the me generation? Yes. I guess I'm going to have to go with millennials because that's closest to my age. All right, Grant? I concur, millennials. Dave? A, it is. All right. And, and Paul Thompson, your input? I'll say millennials. All right. We are not going to actually get to the answer to the end of the show, but I just wanted to throw that out there to begin. We're actually going to begin with you, Cody. Um, you and I first interacted online and then we ran into each other during a plane trip. 
Uh, and you and I talk a lot about sacrifice and grinding it out. And I know every time I bring that up, I see a little bit of a wince on your face. <laughs> tell me what your feelings are about sacrificing in the beginning of your path to FI. So I am big time anti-sacrifice in the sense that put your nose to the grindstone and work at a job you hate for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, whatever it be, to hit this magical fine number that'll automatically make you happy when you hit it. I am a person who thinks that you can exponentially increase your income by pursuing the things you love and figuring out the most optimal way to monetize those. So I guess sacrifice, I time sacrifice a lot. I'm grinding, working 90, 100 hour weeks between my day job and side hustles. But that's just so, that's just so that I can jump out of that day job when I want to and so that I can build it up. But it's because I'm doing things that I like. It's not because I want to work 100 hour weeks at the day job I don't like to sacrifice for that nest egg. So Dave, as I hear Cody talking about this, I know as a Gen Xer that you've spent some time in middle management. Tell me with what Cody is saying, does that jibe with what you're seeing in the millennials you work with? Yeah, I, we started hiring quite a lot of millennials a good while ago and I did a lot of hiring myself. I'd like to think that the ones we were bringing on um, he used the word hate a couple times and I understand that kind of thought process because so many, so many people in America especially hate, hate their job. I'd like to think that the ones that we were bringing on weren't in that hate space. Maybe some were, probably some were, but, or maybe after they settled in for a while. But I think they were um, happy to have a job with us. It's hard to get a job. We were hiring in STEM type fields, data science type things. And so I don't think they were in that hate space. I think they were in a kind of a gratitude space. Maybe after they settled down, they weren't totally in love with it. After they see, here's your little cubicle. And when your cubicle mate sneezes, you might get something on you. And, you know, you kind of settle into the reality of what, okay, this is what working life is like right now. So maybe it's that ambition and it kind of wanes a little bit. But I don't think a lot of them went to hate. I do agree with Cody. You don't want to spend time in a job that you hate. But the sweet spot to me is find something that you either like or at least can tolerate to have some ambition and do a good job. Now, you're in this position where you probably work with a lot of millennials, but you've also probably worked with a lot of baby boomers. Are you seeing a lot of differences in the attitudes towards work from those two generations? Yes, for sure. The first thing I noticed with the younger folks, and I, I, I say the younger folks, it was, I kind of, I guess, I forget the generation cutoffs, but I'm, I'm assuming they're all millennials, is they work really hard. The, the whole meme that they don't work hard, I, I didn't find that at all. And I've seen that meme out there. What I noticed, though, is they expect to get promoted very rapidly. And I don't think in many cases they understand that you don't come in, do a good job for one year, and get promoted. I mean, maybe in some companies you can do that, um, but generally you're going to have to reinvent the wheel or reinvent sliced bread, or you know, you have to do something really profound unless it's a small company where you can really stand out. So I noticed that they expected to get that reward, not just a pay raise, but an actual promotion. And that was something that we disappointed them a lot. I was like, well, your third year in a row, you're not getting promoted. And they were like, I can't believe this is happening. And it's like, I didn't get promoted until my sixth year in and I had really outstanding performance appraisals, right? So, so that's the first thing that I've really noticed. The, on the good side, the baby boomers, I think, 
um, the ones who are headed sort of towards in their golden years and we're offering a lot of early retirement type stuff, they're enjoying mentoring them. I think they like the energy of them and they like the excitement. And I think, so we have a lot of mentoring relationships going on with our older baby boomers and our younger millennials. And that's working out really, really well, even though the two personalities, generational personalities might not always mesh. Now, Grant, you do not hit me as your typical millennial. Uh, And what Dave just said kind of rings true. He said that a lot of the millennials are looking for the rise to be meteoric and it just isn't that way. But it sounds to me from knowing your background, your, your rise was pretty meteoric. Are you a typical millennial? I think I'm a subset of millennials. I mean, I don't accept the logic that anyone needs to wait no matter what job in any career three years for a promotion. I mean, every company out there is just a legal pyramid scheme that essentially is set up to benefit the person at the top. And I've been at the top of one. I had, you know, over 30 employees myself. And to be honest, the ones that pushed and were creative and saved me time and made me money, you know, were the ones who, you know, got the promotions and got the raises. And I was always very clear that, you know, you're getting paid to do a job and you get promotions and raises for going above and beyond that job. And I think documenting that and at the end of the day, telling a really good story about how you're adding value. And if you don't have a good story, maybe instead of looking outward, you need to take the time to ultimately look inward. And, you know, I don't buy the argument that like kind of know your worth. It's simply um, at the end of the day, going to Cody's point, you know, kind of what kind of life do you want to live and how much money do you need to live that life? And Cody made a choice right now or is making choices around loving his life today. And for me, it was how can I escape and have enough money forever as quickly as possible? And I was scrappy and I realized that I could leverage a full-time job for a while. And then, you know, a year in when I didn't get promoted and it didn't serve me, good riddance, um, I was going to do this on my own. And I think that way too many people settle in life. And if you're going to settle in life, I mean, that's kind of the lot that you're going to get. I mean, data science is one of the most in-demand fields in the entire country. I have multiple friends who've graduated with those types of degrees. Most of them now already have over a million dollars because they didn't settle to, you know, wait for that three-year promotion. So, I always encourage people, sure, if you're happy there, that's fine. But them not being happy with that situation, if they can back it up and, you know, maybe start their own side hustle or move to another company and they're willing to kind of get over that fear. But I think buying into the belief that you need to wait three years, as long as you're adding value, you're doing a good job, um, you know, just reinforces this pyramid scheme kind of mentality, in my opinion. So Mrs. Groovy, Grant just talked about, you know, telling your story and and maybe even creating the right story. I'm interested in the fact that you guys kind of came into the financial independence scene using, you picked the name, the Groovies. And so the branding on the Groovies is very, very baby boomer centric. Tell me a little bit about how you decided to craft that story. Well, my husband, Mr. Groovy, came up with the name um, and the idea of doing the blog, first of all. And he thought it was one of those things that I would nix right from the beginning. (laughs) Because he he does come up with some schemes and, and different ideas that are way different than mine. He's always been somewhat of a libertarian. I was the real New York liberal person when we first met. And then when I became a property owner... Um, I got a little more into um, 
conservative values in terms of finances and learning about that sort of end of it. So I think the freedom is part for, for us is two things. It's, it's twofold. It's living the life you want to live and not letting work get in the way. Um, but it's also living the life you want to live and not letting the government have too much of your money. Uh, the groovy thing is just sort of like a, a fun thing we added to it. If you met the two of us in person, we are like the least hip people you'll ever meet. <laughs> you, you guys seem pretty hip to me. I don't know. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> So, Cody, I was looking at your site, and you mentioned, you know, the idea of being a life optimization specialist. What, what exactly does that mean? That means letting every single minute of my day not go wasted. So, I'm optimizing and using every single minute, every waking minute of my day to do something or the thing that I can do that will be most productive to my future self. So Dave, when you hear him say this, one thing that I think about is when I was Cody's age, I just didn't know. Like I I didn't know what being productive was and I didn't know how to optimize. Is that something you two felt like it took a few years to get into that rhythm or did you know it right away the way Cody did? No, well, kind of a little both. I I knew that basically, I I grew up lower middle class. So I saw my dad go to work and come home 12 hours later with a long commute, that kind of thing, you know, a mechanic. And all I knew is, you know, the basics, you work hard, you work your tail off, things are going to work out. So if that equates to optimization, I don't think it kind of does. I think it's more of like the plow ahead mindset. But again, I wasn't doing it in a job that I hated. I found a job and a career that I really enjoyed for, for, for times in my late 20s, early 30s. I had I loved it. I had, I had like a severe passion for my job, which was great. Of course, those things change, right? So I don't feel like I knew what optimization necessarily was. My, my MO was the front-loading MO. And I didn't even think I was front-loading. I was just working my tail off. I just had this, put your head down and work your butt off. And my attitude was, I might not be the smartest guy in the room, but I'm going to outwork everybody here. And I will stay longer. I will work harder. And I didn't hate my job, you know, there were, there were of course times when you don't like a job, but at the, um, I'd say through most of my twenties and in my early thirties, I liked my job and at times I loved it. And then it changed pretty quick when I got into management. So uh, I didn't know I was really front loading in the context of, Hey, you're going to semi-retire early. I just thought I was working my off and making as much money and getting as many promotions as I could because my family didn't have a lot of money and I didn't, I couldn't be an entrepreneur. I totally agree with Grant's points, but not everybody has that entrepreneur mindset. A lot of people have the men, you know, in our community, many people do of course, but it, you know, as a whole, most people, I think, you know, have the kind of mindset. It's like, I'm going to work a job. If everyone had the entrepreneurial you know, mindset, we would all be entrepreneurs and and that's not the way it actually works. So, so I was the guy that was going to put my head down and just work. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest generational differences here because literally almost every single millennial that I personally know is an entrepreneur, does have a side hustle. I read a statistic the other day and it was like 78% of millennials have a side hustle. And um, I feel like I was an OG side hustler um, simply because I had 13 income streams at the age of 25 um, and you can side hustle without being an entrepreneur. Um, an entrepreneur, the definition is very broad. You don't have to launch a huge company or have employees. Simply making money on the side to ultimately invest, you know, 
makes you entrepreneurial in some aspect. And at the end of the day, I think it's really empowering because when you make that first thousand dollars outside of your full-time job, you feel like you have more control and more power um, that in and of itself, I think increases the way you value yourself and you can take that back in to your full-time job. It's not all or nothing, just like any of this. And I think so many people believe that they're stuck in a job or a career forever but you're going to grow, you're going to change. And I wish we as a culture that was celebrated growth and change and experimentation, as opposed to, I personally believe that sort of over-optimization in and of itself often doesn't leave enough room for expiration, for failure, for growth, for messiness, which tends to be, at least for me, where life happens the most. And so Grant, I kind of want to riff off you there because I think our generations, just people in our age brackets, we have such an advantage over people, say, 30 years ago. Like oh. you having 15 income streams, that wasn't possible in the 1950s. You can't have all these different laptop entrepreneur jobs. You can't go do a gig on Fiverr, do some Airbnbs, rent your car out on Turo, drive with Uber. There's just so many ways to have income streams nowadays that people in our generation just have an inherent benefit. And I think that is what pushes people toward these side hustles, toward entrepreneurship, because it's so accessible. It's never been easier in history to make money. Yeah, Cody took the words out of my mouth. I think, you know, had I grown up, and I'm, on, I'm that Gen Xer, right? So computers definitely came about when I was in, you know, grade school and high school, but, the, you know, not really kind of come into their own until I was already in the working world. Um, had I had all these ways to make money, even though no one in my family was an entrepreneur, we didn't have that kind of mindset, we didn't have any money, um, we didn't have any safety net, I probably would have started doing fiber and side hustles and all that, probably on the side in the 90s, back when I was in my 20s, right? But we just didn't have that, right? So now I'm actually doing it. So here I am in my 40s, and I look at my side hustle incomes right now, beside my W-2 job, which I only work about 20 hours a week. I've got, I don't know, six or seven sources of income. Two of them are pretty large, and then the other ones are some small stuff that you do. But yeah, it's, it's totally awesome, and I'm always looking for more. So I totally agree with that point. It's a great time to be making money. It's a great time to be alive. And if you can handle a little bit of that ADD and understand that things aren't going to come from one place, they're going to come from multiple, you're going to really do well. Yeah, I want Mrs. Groovy's opinion on this. Were the baby boomers disadvantaged that they didn't have the technology and options that we have today? I think we were. I mean, I, I often think nobody should get out of high school right now without learning how to build a website. There's, there's no reason not to know how to do that. Um, I got out of high school. I got out of college with a bachelor's and to some extent even got out of uh, graduate school without any real hard skills. My background's a little different than a lot of people in this space because I, I came from the um, do what you love, the money will follow kind of vibe that was back in the 80s. And I pursued a passion. So I was the original uh, side hustler, but I was side hustling just to pay my rent because I was, a, I was a performing artist. I was an actor. So I had, you know, 10, 12 jobs on the side to do that. And if I earned enough money to actually be able to claim unemployment benefits later on in the year, I was doing well. So, you know, but I didn't have hard skills. And that's, and that's the thing that I really missed out on. Right now, though, I think people do have um, the world at their fingertips. But I think I think young people today don't realize that the next couple of decades, in my opinion, from what I'm reading, you're not going to even be able to have one job if you want to. Um, you're going to have to know how to do lots of different things, and you're going to have to be comfortable with change and uncertainty. 
that's not something my generation grew up with. So I get excited about that being around young people who have those opportunities. I, I feel I did not. If you had the choice, would you rather grow up a millennial or grow up a baby boomer? Hmm. I think right now, if I were a, a millennial, I'm enjoying being a baby boomer now because I have to tell you, I get tired when I just hear about all this extreme optimization. You know, I, I start getting this like anxiety, like I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that. And I'm like, wait a minute, you don't even have to work. <laughs> so slow down. So I want to transition a little to you, Grant. Um, you've been doing a lot of work with Vicki Robin. And Vicki is such an interesting person because she really is, in some ways, the voice of the baby boomers. But she's come back and is really talking to millennials a lot now. And I think you're taking part in that. Tell me about what the millennials like Vicki have to teach to this younger generation. Well, first off, Vicki's over 40 years older than I am. And she's lived many lifetimes in this in this life, uh, from you know going and pursuing graduate studies at an elite university to living in intentional communities to writing bestsellers to traveling around the world to spanning generations. And she's a very open to the world person, um, and has just been an incredible teacher through her work to so many people. And then to me, you know, just the time I've spent with her, an incredible teacher to me. Ultimately, I think that we're, as we enter into increasingly uncertain times, I think there's somewhat of a spiritual crisis. And I don't say that from a religious standpoint. I say that from, I think there's sort of a crisis of meaning. People are trying to find what is meaningful in their life. What can they attach to? What does it mean to live a meaningful life? And I think that generationally, I, Vicky's generation, there was an essence and an ease and a sense of wonder that I think in a lot of cases has been lost. I know a lot of people say that, you know, millennials are idealistic and optimistic. And while certainly we're a little bit of those things, I mean, the free love, free expression generation, I mean, Vicky is, is pure that in every way. And I think that we can learn a lot, you know, from our elders, for a lack of a better word, in listening to them. And she happens to be a particularly open and wise one. It's, it's amazing what she knows. And I think that she's, she, she's, she's been teaching me as well as many younger people that there's a lot more to life than money. And I wish that, uh, I hope that that keeps spreading. I think that in the age of social media, it's really hard for someone my age or someone in their twenties to be content with themselves because they go do this amazing thing. They look on Instagram and someone did it 10 times better. And so there's always that next level that you can hit. And you might have not even known about that next level were it not for the internet, were it not for social media X number of years ago. So I think that just makes it really hard to find that meaning, find that value, and really be content with your life. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, 
purposeful cockpit like driving position and award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R-U-S-A.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenues, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash earn. That is linkedin.com slash E-A-R-N for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash earn and get started. Yeah, I'm going to push this over to Dave. You, you guys bring up a, a really interesting point, right? Because we said one of the benefits of being millennial is that you can do all these things. And one of the reasons you can is because you have social media as an amplifier. And it amplifies your signal, which is incredibly powerful and can help you make money. But on the other hand, we criticize millennials because we say all they do is social media and we, we harp on them and tell them how horrible it is for their brains and all the bad things that are happening. So, Here's my question to you, Dave, and, and I don't know if there's a specific real answer to this, but which one is it? Are the millennials savvy and ahead of the game because they've harnessed social media, or are they warping their brain, getting too involved in the intimacies of other people's lives uh, and concentrating on the wrong things? Well, I think you're kind of conflating two things a little bit there, though. You, um, they can make money on the internet. They don't necessarily have to have social media to make money. And I think Cal Newport proves that in his book, Deep Work, when he talks about, um, he doesn't have any social media accounts at all. So he, if, you've, if you've read that book and there's a review on my website and lots of other ones out there, where he talks about, yeah, you can make money in this gig economy without spending time doing shallow work, which is social media. Now, a lot of people disagree with that but I suggest you read the book to kind of, so I, I hear your question saying, you know, they, they have social media and that's what allows them to make money. I would say the internet allows them to make money in many different ways, among other things, but the internet largely being it, you can work from anywhere. I do agree that social media is pretty toxic. Another study came out today. It was in the guardian, I think. And I saw it. It said 30 minutes makes that much of a difference. If people that did this study 30 minutes extra on social media, these higher levels of, depression with this large group of people. And it was a pretty long focus group study. So it's, you know, it's been proven time and time and time again, Cody's points are valid. Everything's hyper aware nowadays, right? So I, I don't know if it's a, which is it question. I think, I think if you can concentrate on using the internet, not necessarily social media, which is just a part of the internet, if you can concentrate on using the internet to reap it for all the goodness that it has, it lets you connect to 7 billion people around the world and make money with minimizing the toxicity that social media brings. I think you can have it both ways. 
And I'm trying to do that. If you know, I did that blog post. I have all, I don't have any social media apps on my phone. Um, sure, I do Twitter when I'm here at home on my laptop, but when I leave my house, I call it moving, being mobile out in the world on my cell phone. I have no social media apps and I'm not going to put them back on. I'm going to experience the world when I'm outside in the world. When I'm home and I'm doing work and I'm blogging, I'm doing my graphic arts and things, sure, I'm going to get on social media and try to promote sometimes, but I try to minimize it also. So, and I'm trying to see how much can I make spending minimal time there. So I don't think they're necessarily the same thing. So Mrs. Groovy, when I was at the Camp Fi and Cody was there too, and I was writing a blog post and I was signing in to my website to write a blog post and it took me like 10 steps and Cody was looking over my shoulder and started laughing at me and he's like, you know, you can do that in one step by just putting this into your browser. (laughs) What I realized is that I was born without the internet and social media and although I started using it in college, it will never feel as fluid to me. Tell me a little bit about your generation, the baby boomer generation. Does social media and the internet feel fluid to you? Does it feel natural, like an extension of yourself, or is it complicated like it is for me? Um, Parts of it are very complicated for me, some of the technical parts. And I get like, you know, in the early days of our website, I, I got like, if I did something wrong, I thought I was going to make the whole website explode and the world would come to an end. You know, it felt like that. I just felt like so stinted. Um, and I do have people in the community who are younger than me who find this so much easier. And I absolutely use them as mentors. Um, you know, they'll hop on Skype with me and, and, and tell me how to do something. Um, so I'm getting a little better at that. But outside of the personal finance community, I think a lot of people in my generation are using social media in ways that... I just find very, very strange, um, like posting all their food and their meals and the letters their kids get for college and stories. About, I mean, the stories about their children. I mean, you know, uh, Grant talked about Vicky. I mean, I, I grew up sort of uh, after the age of the hippie era and, and all, but there's still that freedom thing was going on. And I know like my parents, if my mom, if there was a Facebook back then and my mom was going on with my report card or something, I would have freaked out. And I, I'm seeing that kind of thing right now. And it just, it, it offends me. It's just, people are sharing too much personal crap. And then the other thing I see is that it's just getting in the way of relationships. You know, you can't have this stuff on your phone when you're out to dinner with friends, when you're, when you're sitting at Thanksgiving. It, it just doesn't make any sense to me. You know, my husband has that saying, he's written it in the blog, he's written it in the book about how you can't compare your life to a crowdsourced highlight reel from every other person on Facebook. And they're only showing the good sides of themselves. And it's like, I I find it tiring and I find it silly. Grant, I want to swing it over to you. Obviously, there are differences, right? We grew up differently in the baby boomer generation, the Gen X generation, uh, millennial, Gen Z we fundamentally look at the world differently. For instance, I have nieces and nephews who turned 16 and didn't get their driver's license. And I remember the moment I turned 16, I got my driver's license and I couldn't wait. Tell me, how do we bridge the conversation amongst the generations when we're so different? That's a really good question. I think at the end of the day, going back to the simple question of what does it mean to live a meaningful life? And I think that that can be personal. It is personal. It can be generational. But I think that generationally, we all have different 
expectations. And unfortunately, the paradox of technology is that it does make it easier, but also harder to live life on your own terms. Because I think whenever you sort of externalize your sense of self, I mean, that's all social media is. It's a mirror. It's a reflection of who you are. And it's, that's why people, even of all generations, post their food and what they're doing is because life is not real unless you make it tangible. Unless it, you know, I mean, you look at sort of the Frankfurt School of Philosophy in the 1930s and like image theory and all these things. And a lot of people, like the old pictures, like people thought that pictures literally captured your soul. And I think that something generationally one thing we're all experiencing is social media and the negative impacts that it's having on our life. And I think that that's one of the things that's bridging all of us. And we all have a responsibility to kind of put it in its place, no matter what generation that we're ultimately from. I think we've reached the edge of technology where it's been great for the last 300, 400 years, but now our minds can no longer keep up. I mean, you look at increased suicide and depression and anxiety rates and, not only is the bar getting higher, but our, we've literally reached the edge where we have to all sort of collectively, I think, push back against it and re-inject more humanity, you know, more human connection, more error, more mistakes, more life, more mindfulness, whatever it may be. And I think that if not, uh, we're going to continue to see younger people specifically just getting sadder and sadder and sadder. And so I think we have almost a moral responsibility to kind of curb technology and put some you know, stops in place or else we're going to have a whole generation after Gen Z that no longer knows how to think critically or think for themselves. I mean, that's what the studies show is that Google gives you capital T truth and younger people, you know, they don't think for themselves because you can always Google it. Dave, I know this is a difficult question, but social media, maybe it's gone too far. How do you think that is affecting the way we interact with money. I mean, at the heart, all of us are people who are interested in personal finance. How is it affecting our way that we consume, talk about, and deal with financial independence? That is a tough one. Well, I'm going to take it to my opinion of the population in general, I guess, because our community, and what I mean by our community is the FI community, FI FIRE, whatever you call it, we're obviously a bit different. I think for the general populace, I think it's taken the comparison game beyond anything that we could possibly imagine. Cody alluded to it before, but he, the way he alluded to it was, you know, the big Instagram posts where people are, you know, at some beautiful vista here or on some beach there, right? So you're comparing activities in your life. That's, that's what's happening in social media. That's a large part of the depression part. But I think with that comes money, right? When I was young, there was a show um, called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. It was pretty, I'm sure, I'm sure you probably remember it. I don't know if the millennials remember it. It was, I can't remember if that was the late 80s or the early 90s or maybe just the mid 80s. But anyway, it was the show, it was basically the show Cribs before MTV existed. And this is back when there were four channels on television. And it was exactly that. It took celebrities and they went around to their house with a camera and and all that show is about is envy, right? It's, I want those things. I want that. And you kind of gawk at it, right? So now, and then you have cribs and MTV and then you go beyond that. Now you have social media where I think you can see anything from anyone all over the world. Not only the activities that they're doing, the code you alluded to before, but instantly in your head, what you're probably thinking when you see that is, I can't afford to go to Fiji. I need to be able to afford to go to Fiji, right? He must have a lot of money. 
um, I can't, you know, look at that car, you know? So it's, it's tangible things that you see in the actual pictures. And it's also when they're doing an activity, you're thinking in your head, I don't have that much time off work and I can't afford that either. So I think it's taken the comparison game really high. And we all know a cliche term, keep up with the Joneses, but I think it's given keep up with the Joneses a virtual aspect to it. In the traditional sense of the term, I think it meant your neighbors in your immediate neighborhood, right? He's got a Jaguar in his driveway. I don't, right? That creates some kind of an envy. And now it's virtualized that. And, and I don't know. I don't think that can be good <laughs> because comparison is a root of evil. And um, we're all doing it. You know, look at us bloggers. Someone posts their blog stats and inevitably, Doc, right? How many times have we actually jabbered? You and I used to jabber about blog stats and I was like, I don't need to compare to Doc. Doc's a better writer than me anyway and he posts every day. So it's like, that's just going to get me nowhere. So comparison's the root of evil and I think it's, it's really virtualized it so you can basically compare your life to the biggest and the best and the richest um, instantly. And I, I don't see that going really good places. First of all, what, what Dave just said is completely false. He's one of the greatest writers. But beside that point, uh, I want to come back to Cody a little bit. Talking about comparison, there was a time when you wanted to be an investment banker, right? I mean, there was a time when you wanted to be one of those Joneses. Is, is that a correct statement? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was correct statement. I was really barreling down toward that path of investment banker because I knew that out of a bachelor's degree, I did the Google search before I picked my major. You know how smart that is. And I'm like, I can make 120 to 150K straight out of college if I get into one of these investment banking firms in New York. And then my junior year, I read the four-hour work week and my whole mindset just shifted. And I realized that time is our most valuable asset and that time does not have to be linearly related to money. And so once I had that realization, I'm like, what am I doing with my life? I don't want to work 100-hour weeks. Sure, I'll make $150,000, but what, what's it to me if I can't see my girlfriend, if I can't hang out with my friends, if I'm working every single Saturday? It just wasn't worth it to me because I realized that time is our most valuable asset. Grant, I'm interested in this. The four-hour work week um, doesn't seem to fit in what you call the old-school retirement narrative. Who has it right? I mean, is the old school retired, retirement narrative, is it dead and gone? Is Tim Ferriss onto something or is Tim Ferriss a little unrealistic? I think both. I think when you read for our work week, it's incredibly unrealistic to the extent that he doesn't acknowledge the simple fact that most businesses fail. Any business is subject to market forces. When Tim Ferriss wrote that book, it was an incredibly different time period a decade ago than it is today in terms of how you can make money. I think it's actually gotten easier, but Tim Ferriss was really all about how do you make money to fuel the lifestyle that you want to live today. He actually very explicitly mentions in the book, I'm not going to tell you how to save for the future because you need to focus on figuring out how to make money to live the life that you want today. And in the future, because you're building these skills, you're always going to have the capacity to make money. That's kind of where he left off. And I actually tried to pick up at that spot when I wrote my book of, okay, let's talk a little bit about this, Tim. And I feel like my book in a way is a response to that because I uh, like made the very strategic choice to sacrifice, but I viewed it as an opportunity, kind of five intense years where I was working 100 hour weeks, doing things I liked doing, doing things I didn't like doing, ultimately to, as long as I lived to 30, <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, have a lifetime of freedom and options. You know, the paradox of it is, is I probably looking back on it wouldn't have been as hardcore. But, you know, I think that I read for our work week and was both inspired. And once I tried to do it, the first three kind of online companies that I tried to create failed miserably. And I was like, ah, you know, this isn't, you know, finding a virtual assistant and launching a nutrition supplement company <laughs> is a little bit harder uh, than you make it out to be. But the ethos, the simple fact that you can live a life on your own terms, you know, I very much agree with and believe in. And to, to you know, Mrs. Groovy's point, we're in the future increasingly going to have to function in a lot of ways like islands. And the people, like I really think that skills are future currency. And so if you can build websites and do graphic design and sell and do analytics and tell stories and make connections, the more skills that you have, the more insulated that you become to the market, ultimately shifting and accelerating. Because things, man, industries, you know, things just get so competitive so quickly, you know, but when you have those skill sets, you're much, much more able to pivot. Mrs. Groovy, I'm, I'm listening to Grant and I'm thinking with what he's saying, I almost wonder if we did it wrong, right? We spent all our time and money going to college, getting these big degrees, and it sounds like the future is more about experience and skill sets that you build that probably you don't learn in school. So should we be spending all this money on the college education? I feel a college education is really worth it if... Um, you're going for something technical, you're going for something specific. Um, we have a niece who's a speech pathologist. I, I think she'll always get work. She'll always be able to work either a regular nine to five or a per diem job. Um, if you're a tradesperson and you have a real skill, you don't need to go to college. A plumber doesn't need to go to college. A car mechanic doesn't need to go to college. And there are certain jobs that are not going to be able to be, uh, you know, mechanicalized, if that's the right word. So I think people have to be looking for things to do where um, they're not going to be dispensable. And whether you get that from college or a technical school or learning online by yourself, if you can, Mr. Groovy learned how to do database coding through books. I, I could never do that. I, I, can't, I can't even read a book that's a, a fiction book that bores me without, you know, <laughs> snapping it shut. You know, so you have to know your learning style too. I mean, I, there's so many ways to skin a cat. In one way that I don't feel that I did it wrong was at least that my education didn't cost me anything. Uh, I went to school when it was almost free. I went to graduate school when it was a little bit of money. Um, so in that sense, I wasn't saddled with that. So I'm very, I'm very grateful for that. Um, I don't see how you get out of school with, um, you know, $150,000 in debt and a $30,000 job. To me, that makes that's crazy talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cody, that, that speaks a lot to things that you've talked about before on your blog and podcast. Is it ever worth it to pay full price for college to go to the highest ranked university? Yes. Okay. You said the highest ranked university. If you're going to the Harvard, Yales, MITs of the world, you're going there for connections. You're not going there for the education because some guy's going to hook you up, whether you're a music major, you'll end up being an investment banker or you'll end up working at some really prestigious firm. That's just how it works. It's the connectivity. But if you're going to some middle of the road, even if it's a private university, like those mid-tier $60,000 a year private universities and you're not getting any financial aid, those are not worth it. You should just stick to either a state college, go for as many scholarships and grants as you can, or 
go to a community college and then maybe just finish up the last two years. Yes, I don't think it's worth going into $240,000 of debt to go to a mid-tier private school. All right, I'd like to do one more question. I'm going to start with Dave, but I want to run through all of you. You've noticed we've talked a lot about baby boomers and we've talked a lot about millennials and I include Gen Z with millennials. We have not talked almost at all about Generation X. So Dave, Generation X, who are we? And, and can you think of a single thing we stand for? <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't even know much about my generation, right? Except for most of my best friends were all in it, right? I mean, I, I, what do we call it? The lost generation? Isn't that the official, the official terminology? Which is why it's X, right? It's just like, the, you know, solve for this particular variable. <laughs> you know, we kind of, you know, it starts in 65, I think, and ends in, I guess, 85. We, we grew up in the 70s, right? So I think a lot of us in the 70s and 80s, and I think a lot of us, we had either baby boomer parents or Great Depression parents. So I think probably you were shaped by that alone. And for me, it was the latter. Both of my, both of my parents were born in 1929. Actually, my dad was born five days before the market crashed in October 1929, five days old. So his parents were holding a five-day-old baby when all hell broke loose, right? So, and my mom was five months old. So I, I had parents that were great, de- great depression parents. And I did a blog post about this. It left an indelible mark on me. We have clutter. We, um, I wouldn't call my mom a hoarder, but um, she's definitely a pack rat. Um, she doesn't get rid of things, right? Because you might need that. And that, that mindset, that depressionary mindset. So I think other people in Gen X, um, if their parents had them when they were way younger, the parents, they had parents who were baby boomer parents. So you had, or maybe older baby boomer parents, but right on that cusp. So you had some of a little more of the hippie age there, right? And you could throw pot on the table and my mom wouldn't know what marijuana looks like, smells like, or anything. She, she never even encountered it, came across it in her entire life because by the time she was in her 40s, you know, and the hippie generation was coming on, she was already married and, you know, moved on in life. So I think that for Gen X kind of um, what what generation your parents were in, because you had World War II in there, and that was a defining moment, obviously. And if your parents were kind of a little bit before that or after, that totally changes where their mindset came from, and it probably affected you a lot as well. That's the most I know about generations. That's a pretty tough question. (laughs) So, Grant, you know, I would say that as a Generation Xer, I knew I didn't want to be a baby boomer like my parents, and I knew I didn't know how to be a millennial like Cody. Any thoughts on Gen Xers? Can you even think of a single, I I can't, can you think of a single word that that describes us or puts us in a place? Yeah, I always felt like Gen Xers were angsty. That'd be kind of the one keyword. There was always like a, uh, you know, I, I, the world's not for me. I'm not for the world. So the, of the out born out of that is somewhat of an entrepreneurial spirit, but you, you didn't quite have the tools yet to be able to, I think, take advantage of that in some way. Um, but I just think of angst. I mean, you think of like grunge music, you know, that, that, that's what I think of a lot. A lot of the Gen X people I know just, they happen to, it's not that they're boring, but they just, they, they don't have, it's weird. And you're, you're an exception, you guys are exceptions. But it's like, they just don't have kind of the edge. You know what I mean? My parents are baby boomers. And so, and I'm millennial. And so I, of the, of the Gen X people that I knew, it's, it's, it just seemed like there was this angst, but they didn't know where to put that angst. Uh, I love that comment about, because Nirvana and Pearl Jam and all, all, 
broke open in 1990 and I was in college. And yes, it was. So I, that word didn't come to me actually, Grant, but I'm glad you said it. I don't know if I was angsty myself, but um, yeah, all that stuff broke open in 1990. Pure right in the middle of Gen X. So. Mrs. Groovy, any thoughts about the Gen Xers? Anything come to mind? You know, I don't know too many people who are. I, I mean, I probably do, but I'm not aware of it. I kind of tend to think of people as under 40 and over 40. <laughs> so, but um, I think when they try to define themselves, the word that comes to mind to me is, I don't know if you remember this, you know, if you were, when you were 12 years old, maybe you'd be called a tween. You weren't quite a teenager yet, but you weren't a child. You know, it's like they're betwixt and between, it seems to me. Not, not sure, you know if they're really leaning towards baby baby boomers or leaning towards being a millennial. I, I think that if you have to identify yourself as that, I think it's it's a little difficult. Well, I'm a Gen Xer and I think now I have a complex about my generation. Uh, yeah, I didn't know I was lost until today. <laughs> Go ahead, Cody. Don't make me have to sing Amazing Grace to you, please. <laughs> So something that I've noticed with Gen Xers in particular, they're the most critical of my choices and the things I want to do with my life. So people in baby boomer generation, they are like, go for it, you know, pursue your passions, quit your job, do the things you want to do. And then millennials are like, yeah, go for it. Like, this is awesome. And then just Gen Xers are like, no, you got to pay your dues. You got to keep working. You got to put your nose to the grindstone just like we did. And I hear that so much. And I'm like, pay my dues says who? Like, who are you to tell me what dues to pay and who even knows what those dues are? I think that might be, Cody, I was just thinking in my head, is because Gen Xers are mostly in their 40s right now and they're stuck in that middle part of their career where I just went half time from in that middle management. So they're pissed and they're stuck and they're jealous. So they're seeing <laughs> this young kid. I mean, how old are you again? 22. Dude, I mean, you've heard this line before, but I think I got a French fry in my in my Subaru underneath the seat that's older than you. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're seeing this young kid. They're seeing th- and they're seeing him like, you know, I'm just gonna tackle the world, and they're going, yeah, I got to sit in four hours of meetings tomorrow about crap and push a lot of paper around. So it's probably more of a jealousy thing. They probably don't really, they're not really hating on you. They're probably reflecting some of that, some of that's reflected back on where they're at right now. Baby boomers are generally gliding into retirement or already there. Gen Xers are, man, they're, they're, in that, they're in that zone right now where they're like, it's, you're either loving it or you're hating it. <laughs> yeah, I think in a lot of cases you get the life that you settle for. And yeah. so I, I very much too, the first manager I ever had was like eight years older than me. He was Gen X and he was very much told me, you got to pay your dues and just like Cody said, I was like, I don't owe you anything, dude. You're <laughs> sitting in middle management and you're 31 years old and you're really unhappy and I'm not going to be you. And so I feel like we have millennials have Gen X to thank even more so than the baby boomers because perhaps we were like, nah, no, nah, we're just going to do it on our, on our own terms. <laughs> well, that's the default story that we were told at Gen Xers is that you go to college, you get a job and you go to work. And during our generation is when the 401k and all that stuff came around. And, and so the, the plan, you know, we'd, 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 most of us didn't have pensions. And so the 401k was the grand experiment, which, you know, I think to us in the fire world, we very much like it. But 
I think we, we recognize that on a broad scale that the 401k wasn't the, the great solution that we all thought it was going to be, or at least that was intended. I think it's time to bring this thing to a close and round this thing out. Is the path to financial independence different? How is it different based on your generation? Have we answered that question? I think we would say it's different, but maybe we can pull on that thread one more time, go around to each of the guests. How is it different? And what would you share with someone who is maybe in your generation, who's trying to figure out their, their path to FI and how they might be, maybe take some different action as a result of this conversation. Let's start with Cody. All right. Yes. I think it is very different from generation to generation. And I think that my generation has a huge inherent benefit over other generations. I bet that once we get off this call, if you gave me one hour, I could make at least $50 doing gig economy stuff. I bet that if I wanted to learn something, I could go watch a YouTube video, Google it, or just figure it out by listening to a podcast or reading a blog post. And I just have all of these resources at my fingertips that people 50 years ago just didn't have. All right, Grant, how about you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've now made over $2 million from videos that I watched for free on YouTube. Um, so I feel, you know, as a slightly older millennial, I feel like I was part of that first wave where I actually got my first computer when I was six years old. I had a laptop. It was a used laptop I got from a neighbor. And I literally feel most comfortable in life with my hands on a keyboard. I know that's really kind of maybe sad to some people, but I have the entire world literally at my fingertips. And to Cody's point, I bet I could make $100 in the next hour. <laughs> I'll put you to the challenge, man. But isn't that so exciting? You can control your money. You can ultimately control, you know, your time and your life. So that's, it's a, it's an exciting time, you know, as long as for the people who are curious, and that's one of the things I encourage people to be. If you're curious and you're hungry, the tools are available to you. You just have to take a moment to think a little bit differently, no matter what your parents or society or your teachers are telling you. Um, and that's the exciting thing to see people, people doing today. That's wonderful. Fantastic. Dave, last words. Yeah. So to answer the question, yeah, obviously I think it's the, the pathify is definitely different to, to, to riff on the points that they made. Grant said something at the end there. If you have that entrepreneurial mindset or if you're curious, he said, I kind of put those things hand in hand. So this is how I see it. Everybody's different, right? So people span the gamut. So I think back in the day, if you had the mindset of hunker down and work, and part of that's what you're told. It was easier. If you wanted to be an entrepreneur back in the 40s and 50s, it was a lot harder. Now the tables have been turned. Not everybody's going to have an entrepreneurial mindset. So I think there's still going to be people that in, in millennial generation and beyond that it's going to be hard for because they're not going to be born with their brain wired that way. But the opportunities are there for them. But everybody, they're going to have to try to conform to that. They're going to have to try to learn that, right? To learn that entrepreneurial mindset. And everyone doesn't fall in that actual bin. That's the only reason I blog. That exact reason. <laughs> there you go. Ms. Scrooby, can you close us out? Well, I have mixed thoughts. I, I, think, I think the millennials have an easier path to find in terms of the skills, uh, learning skills, new skills, having the technology. I do agree the curious mind needs to be there. The love for learning, just just to learn new things. I think that's really important. Um, when I see people in my age group who are nowhere near retirement, it scares the hell out of me because they could pivot, but they don't know how. Um, and they don't have to be, uh, they don't have to 
to have the entrepreneurial mindset. You know, you could, you could be a virtual assistant. You could do something at home for 10, 15 bucks an hour on your computer without really building a business, just doing a skill. One thing I think is really important is when you do have a good job, that's the time to be increasing your skills because you don't know when that good job is going to go away. Um, and I think so many people in my generation just assume tomorrow's going to be like today. And if they lose a job, they are, you know, SOL. So I'd like to come back to that question I asked you at the beginning. The term the me generation actually was first used by Tom Wolf in 1970 to describe the baby boomers. <laughs> A few decades later, Time Magazine put out a cover which Grant has on his website, on his about page, that shows a millennial looking at their cell phone lying on the ground and the words on the title on the front page are the me, me, me generation. Triple me. So I am going to claim the me generation for Gen X2 and so I'm going to say that we are a heck of a lot more alike through the generations, then we're different. Paul, why don't you take it out with the last question? Sure thing. So let's give everybody a chance to promote what they're working on. Where can everybody find you on the internet? This uh, social thing that we're all got out there, where are you? And what is up next in your world? Any new projects you're working on? Let's start with Cody. Yeah. What's up, guys? You can find me blogging at Fly to Fi. I also podcast over at The Fi Show. And I have a side hustle course launching Probably sometime in the next two months. Oh, fantastic. That's, that's what's up next for you is a side hustle course. That's what's up next. Yeah, I like that. All right, Grant, I think I know what's coming up next for you, but let's find out where, where, uh, where we can find you. Yeah, you can uh, find me at millennialmoney.com, at millennialmoney on Twitter. I have a book dropping in February, Financial Freedom. Uh, you can learn more about it at financialfreedombook.com. Going to be going on the road 41 dates, joined by Cody over there. It's going to be quite the tour, so catch us on the road. We're going to be out on the road for about three months coming to a city near you. So check, oh, out, yeah. that, check, that, check out that list and hit us up. Fantastic. Cody, is that public knowledge yet? Or, or, or uh, was, was it just announced? <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, it's public knowledge. Good, okay. It hasn't been announced, but I guess it's been announced now. And what's up oh. next? <laughs> good, good. All right, Dave, how about you? Where can we find you? And you got any projects coming up? What's, what's up next for you? Uh, so you can find me at accidentalfire.com. Uh, it's my blog. Uh, Twitter is at accidental. I think there's an underbar in there. Just do search, search, search works. You'll find me. Mm -hmm. um, and what's coming up next? Well, uh, beside the blog, I do graphic arts on the side. So I have a side also um, selling on graphic design sites and rumor has it I did the what's up next very simple but elegant logo um, yes. and I'm doing a lot more custom logo designs I'm actually working on two of them right now I finished up one today so if you like a new logo for your blog hit me up and we can work something out so just a little bit of this a little bit of that and um, bringing that side hustle money in yeah and you have a, a really interesting line of t-shirts that we would like to promote as well because yeah. uh, I really enjoyed seeing those at FinCon I like to do things the hard way. So I have about 30 or 35 of my graphic design t-shirts are in sort of the money fi. And um, so I'm trying to sell t-shirts to a community of people who pride themselves on not buying anything. Um, <laughs> so I like to kind of do things the hard way. Um, I like that extra challenge in there. But um, yeah, I, I, if, you go, if you go on my website and you look at fire lifestyle designs, I've got some fire t-shirts on there, retirement t-shirts that um, 
maybe you'll find your, you know, maybe you'll find your fancy there. Thanks. Fantastic. All right, Mrs. Groovy, round us out. What's, what's up next for you and where can we find you? Okay, we're at freedomisgroovy.com uh, and at freedomisgroovy on Twitter. Uh, Mr. Groovy still is going strong with his book and appearing on podcasts. His is the Groovy Guide to Financial Independence. He's been pushing me to write a book, so we're, I'm up next with the Groovy Guide to Moving Back In With Your Parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm currently talking to you from the bedroom of my in-laws who we've been living with for the past six months. <laughs> we're doing a recap on building Groovy Ranch, which is why we're living here. We're building a house. And we actually sell T-shirts and coffee mugs on Etsy, Freedom is Groovy Shop. So, Paul, you know, it's interesting I'm considered Generation X, but for a long time, I didn't really know what that meant. And in fact, it's funny that as Grant is describing Generation X, he did a better description than I would ever have been able to do. But he, of course, is a millennial and not part part of my generation. It, I feel like the millennials are well-defined, right? Mm-hmm. Whether we have the right opinions of them or not, it, it's not the point. We all think of millennials and get an idea in our mind. Yep. And I think the same goes for baby boomers. I think we all have an idea of what a baby boomer is, but it's not so well defined for Generation X. What was interesting about this conversation is I start to wonder if it really matters. I think millennials are different from the baby boomers in Generation X, but not because their values are different. I think they grew up in a different time. And I think because they grew up in a different time, their abilities are different. Their ability to negotiate technology uh, and to use it appropriately is different than ours. The older generations might have more technical skills about other things. They might have more communication skills. We didn't grow up with texting and emailing. So we had to learn how to stand up in front of people and interact eye to eye, voice to voice. That world is changing. And we are changing as a people. So it's not surprising that we see some of these surface differences. But I'll tell you, there was not one person in that group who I also didn't feel a true, strong connection with because we were interested in personal finance. Right. So it was almost more important than the fact that our age span was over several decades. Um, We might have listened to different music when we grew up as kids, but we still speak the same language. Yeah, I also have the the same thought that a lot of attention is given to what generation you're in, or is it at least that makes for makes maybe it makes for good conversation. And that the, there certainly are differences amongst generations, but that doesn't have that much of an impact on the concept of financial independence. Is my take is that what unifies the, the the movement is that we have this other money mindset focus that we're, we're, we're intentional about money and, and, and it allows us to have interesting conversations with people of, of any, any generation. Now it might be the way you approach it is slightly different because tip, generally speaking, when you're younger, you're more apt to take risks and you're more apt to, um, have the, the, a longer financial runway, but that's more of a function of age than it is a function of actually being in a different generation. And we just don't have the luxury of going back to the early forties or fifties and having this conversation during that timeline for people who were the boomers at the time. It, it, and it, the world was just so different at the time. Much of 
what's available now wasn't available then. And it would have been much harder to, in my opinion, to have replicated what we tend to do in the financial independence space now back then because it just wasn't so prevalent in the modern modern age. And, I, and I've developed a complex for sure. I had no idea that uh, the only thing I knew about Generation X is that is that uh, it wasn't genera- uh, the millennials and that I had to go look up what generation I was in. Actually, I didn't know. Um, and so the only thing I knew is that I was seven or eight years removed from being a millennial. So, okay. But I find myself actually associating more with millennials than I do with anything else. Um, maybe because I was in technology or uh, or this idea of everybody gets a trophy and being raised in the eighties was the way I was raised. I don't think that changed much between the eighties and nineties. So a portion of generation X, at least maybe even, I mean, you're five years older than I am. Maybe even you probably, I mean, just because we came of age shortly after the big technological uh, generation doesn't mean that even five or 10 years before that we weren't still raised with this idea that, still influences millennials, which is less about money and more so about everything you do matters and you get a trophy for everything. That's not something that started only in 85. That started in the seventies as well. Yeah. I think we're a hybrid generation, right? In a sense, we both worked hard and played hard. I will tell you, at least in personal finance in the financial independence movement, I have to give a lot of credit to the millennials and, and now Gen Z because I will say the one thing I think they figured out a little bit better than us is they realized that you had to start from day one building purpose and identity and connections. Those things that now we look at as the end stage financial independence steps, right? So we get to financial independence and then we have to build a life of purpose and identity and connections. I think they're really good at starting their life that way. Um, And I think that's just an evolution of where we have come in the financial independence movement and coming to this movement later, I wasn't nearly that savvy at that age. Mm -hmm. So I do say that they've they've got that part really in hand and it's really impressive uh, and I definitely have to tip my hat. I I wish I was that smart. Well, you've always been smart, but you were aware of it. Were you as, uh, I think these concepts of money are becoming more and more prevalent. And so I think over time, this idea of second and third generation fire how are our children, whatever generation you'd call them, how are they going to come of age? And what do they think about money? What is the role of college and college debt and employment going to be for that generation of the financial independence movement? That might be what's up next. Yeah, certainly might be. All right. Well, this has been the What's Up Next podcast. I'm Doc G. And on behalf of myself and Paul Thompson, we'd like to thank our panelists, Dave from Accidental Fire, Cody Berman, Grant Sabatier, and Mrs. Groovy. That's a wrap. I'm sorry. I was literally sitting there waiting for you to call me on Skype, and then I went (laughs) back to the message. (laughs) I mean, that's pretty complicated. Thank you. I hope I uh, wasn't incoherent. (laughs) I almost forgot what the podcast is called. (laughs) That's happened a few times already. I'm writing writing it down. down It won't be long until this will be a household name and you'll just know it. Like tomorrow? (laughs) Probably not by tomorrow morning when we're doing our next episode. (laughs) If it's going to get messed up, it's going to be Paul or I who does it. Yeah. 
It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts.